name is Amanda Newland Davis, and I run Oklahoma Cold Cases along with my partner Jen. At Oklahoma Cold Cases, we try to shine light on the cases of the missing, murdered, and unidentified that otherwise don't get much media attention. For the last four years, we've existed solely on Facebook, sharing the posts of the missing, murdered, and unidentified of Oklahoma. But this past year, we've branched out and started a database in which we list all of the names of every cold case that is in Oklahoma that we are currently aware of. You can find us at oklahomacoldcases.org. You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. We have a guest. (laughs) A pretty cool guest. A pretty cool guest. I thought this would be actually the perfect guest for this case that we're going to cover today, which is Eileen or some people say Aileen, because of his history with this case. I have today Robin Warder with The Trail Went Cold. And this was actually your very first case you ever covered, right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I started it on my very first episode on The Trail Went Cold in February of 2016, wow. which seems like forever ago, a long, long time ago. And um, you may have seen this, but Prior to starting a podcast, I made a failed attempt to do a YouTube series. Oh, I didn't. Mm-mm. Yeah, uh, we screened it at the True Crime Podcast Festival in Dallas. I don't know. Did you guys go to that screening? No, I no, didn't get to, I, I didn't, didn't even, even know. know. <laughs> I wish I would have. So this was way back in 2013 when podcasts were still not a big thing yet. But uh, I was going to do a YouTube series where I would talk about unsolved mysteries cases. And I would do host segments where I dressed like Robert Stack wearing a trench coat and everything. Oh, wow. And that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It looked pretty bad, but everyone who went to the uh, screening thought it was pretty funny. I would have loved it. And what I would do is I would talk about the cases. I would show clips from the original Unsolved Mystery segments and then give my theories and analysis. And I think we did it in like 2013. We finished one episode, uploaded it to YouTube, and within 30 minutes, Cosgrove Muir Productions, who uh, produce Unsolved Mysteries, had it taken down for copyright <gasps> reasons. Oh, <laughs> no. That's so strange because I thought, and and it might not have been a law then, but I thought now if you're reviewing something, you can use clips and stuff from it. Maybe that's... That is true. Like, we actually were in contact with a representative and used that argument, but they said, sorry, no, we really don't want our stuff going out there. Uh by other parties, even if you're just using clips and doing your own commentary and reviews. Man. So we, we pretty much had to start a square one. And then just over three years later, we uh, decided to take my original script for that YouTube series and revamp it into a podcast episode. And that's how we started The Trail Went Cold and turned out to be the best decision of my life because the podcast took off and I spared myself from having to appear on camera every week on YouTube. So it was right. a blessing in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> So you actually started with this case. Now, did you start with this case because 
Unsolved Mysteries started with this case. Exactly, because I'm old enough that I watched these Unsolved Mysteries episodes when they originally aired during the late 1980s. And uh, the Aileen Conway case was one that just stuck with me for like many, many years because I just thought it was such a baffling mystery. And around 2013, uh, you couldn't find Unsolved Mysteries episodes anywhere on the internet because it seemed if they ever went on YouTube, they would get pulled. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, nowadays, you can watch all the seasons everywhere because they have an official channel. But back then, I was kind of thinking, well, maybe this YouTube series and then podcast will kind of fill the void and I can start like giving more exposure to all these cases from Unsolved Mysteries that are still unsolved after all these years. Right. That's such a cool idea. Yeah, it is. It really is. (laughs) Yeah. We are going to dive back in. This is, what do you say? This was 2016 for you, right? The last time you covered it? Yeah, my very first episode. And if you go listen to it, it's pretty rough because I didn't know what I was doing. I had a crappy headset mic. So I've always wanted to revisit it and remaster it. But I think this is a good substitute just talking about it again seven years later. (laughs) Wow, seven years. Yeah, I had actually, so I listened to your podcast. I very much enjoy your podcast. And um, you had mentioned, I think you did like a year-end rap or something where you had just like vaguely mentioned some of the cases that still kind of haunt you a little bit and you were saying something like you would love to revisit Eileen Conway and I was like have I got news for you perfect yeah I remember you messaging me or leaving a comment after I released that episode so I think you were planting the seeds there a little bit oh yeah yes I was I love planting seeds So we are going to cover this, and I will say that since the, because this is a case from what, 1986, so there's not just a whole lot out there on it um, other than the Unsolved Mysteries coverage, really. Um, but I did find some new things. So we are going to, now again, not huge things, but some little things that may give a little more insight into this case. So if you guys are ready, are you ready? We're ready. I don't know. I'm speaking for him. I'm like, you're ready. (laughs) I'm anxious to learn new things. So this is exciting. All right. So for those of you who have never heard about this case, this is a case from Lawton, Oklahoma from 1986, which would be around 37 years ago. Around 11 a.m. on April 29th, uh, a farmer who was working his fields around 18 miles west of Lawton, Oklahoma, noticed some smoke rising from a nearby county road. He called the authorities, and 20 minutes later, the Oklahoma Highway Patrol arrived at the scene. They discovered a burning car embedded in a lonely county road bridge. Now, we're talking back in the boondocks. You are from Canada, right? Yeah, exactly. Ottawa, Ontario. Okay, so I don't know. Do you guys have back roading there? Oh, definitely. Like, we're we're the second largest country in the world behind Russia, but we don't really have a big population. So there is a lot of open space here in Canada. Okay, so great. So I'm definitely used to it. <laughs> okay, great. So, well, and I wanted to say a little bit about Lawton so yeah. people kind of get an understanding. Since I'm from the Oklahoma City area, you know, I've been to Lawton a lot. Mm-hmm. And it it is, especially back then, Lawton is kind of... It's got to have a military base on it. Yeah, so, it does Fort uh, Fort Seal. 
Fort Sill. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, there are some people, but around it, you have Mount Scott, you have um, all of these rural, very rural communities. There's plains, there's fields, there's mountains. Oh, yes. That's, that's the great thing we say about Oklahoma is that you kind of have everything all in one state. You got mountains, you got lakes, you got plains, you got fields, you got everything that you can imagine oh, is yeah. like right here in Oklahoma. Oh yeah, we have the tallest hill in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but even back then it would have been more even more rural. And so everything around it is pretty back I mean, backward. It's pretty country, yeah. actually. Yeah, it is. But Lawton is not super huge. The only no. the only thing that really makes it have a lot of like population is that it has that military mm-hmm. base yes. there. So you've got a lot of military families and and guys and stuff in and out of there all the time. It's crazy because the one thing that I feel like I got my hands on that no one else has really looked at or looked for was I got Eileen's. Aileen, sorry, I got Aileen's um, autopsy report. And I think I sent it to you, right, Robin? Yes, I did. Yeah, we had a brief discussion about it because uh, it left me, it confirmed some points for me, but it only left me with more questions, some of the conclusions of that report. (laughs) Right, I know. And so there were even some things just on there that I noticed in the details that a lot of details that we've heard are, are apparently wrong. Number one, the spelling of her name, which floored me. I was like, how can everyone just be spelling her name wrong this whole time? And then it made me wonder, do you say Eileen or do you say it Aileen? And I kind of came up with the determination that it was Aileen just because of all the vowels. What's funny about that is that you'd assume it's Aileen because that's how Robert Stack pronounced it. But I talked to someone associated with another case featured on Unsolved Mysteries who knew the victim and said, nope, Robert Stack pronounced it incorrectly on the episode. So he's not perfect. (laughs) It is Eileen. So is it Eileen? I think it's Aileen because that's what I heard on the episode, but I do know that he could pronounce things incorrectly and I've never heard any other source say otherwise. See, my first impression, like when I first hear that name, I want to say Eileen. Come on, Eileen. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Let's go with Aileen. All right, so her name was the first one and it is A-E-I-L-E-E-N. It's a very strange spelling of the name, yeah, which I've is, you know, yeah, which is why I'm, I'm like so confused about it because I've never seen that either. So I had that because I had previously saw her, um, her headstone, headstone and it also had that spelling on there. But, well, then, but then I confirmed that with the autopsy report. But so. you, I mean, I would have looked at it and kind of went, oh, is that right? Well, just because yeah. everybody else spells it A-I-L-E-E-N. Like Eileen Warnos. I'm pretty sure the Unsolved Mysteries website even spells it A-I-L-E-E-N. But uh, I remember seeing her tombstone and I figured that's probably the correct spelling. So that's the one I've always seen. Yeah. Yeah. And and comparing that with the the autopsy report. So there are some other things on that report that we'll go over a little later. Um, But I wanted to start with the car. The fact that she was around 18 miles from home when this happened um and it looked like just an automobile accident that's what the first impression was they came upon this car um it had crashed into the side of a bridge on this lonely back road um it was on fire when they got there the front of it was impacted so they just assumed that it was an automobile accident 
the heat from the fire was so intense that it had actually melted the front of the car into that guardrail, which I don't know anything about heat intensity, but that's got to be pretty dang hot. You would definitely think she had a, a, a full tank of gas. Well, yeah. Yeah, something was going on there because usually when you see a car fire, um, it starts, it's like very small in the engine. It's just kind of, but this car was fully engulfed. Yes. And I've, I've seen photos of Which it. Which is strange to me. Mm-hmm. I know. I it, it, that that is the strange part. Because usually, like I said, it starts at the engine. And I actually think that there is a myth that because your car is full of gas, it's going to explode when it catches on fire. Which... Don't get me wrong, that that could possibly happen. I don't think, I don't know that that would happen. I think if the car's full of gas, it just helps the heat, wouldn't you think? Well, be but, hotter. But people hot. seem to think that, that that fire is going to cause an explosion, and it might, but for the most part, if, if a fire starts in your engine, it's probably not going to travel from your engine because it's pretty enclosed. It's pretty enclosed, you know, and, and it's, it, it's usually not a fully a full engulfment unless there's some crazy trauma going on or you know or a car's been doused. Well, yes, if there's chemicals mm. involved or something like that. In movies, you always see cars instantly explode. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I say the mythos. <laughs> or there was electrical yeah. problems. Now, back then I don't well, in the 80s there could have been. I I know of a car in that was a 1990 and it had electrical problems and exploded. Well, but also you have to think that no, I'm sorry to say this, but back then in the 70s, 80s prior, cars I think were more well-made. I mean, they were like a hunk of steel basically. They were, but I have seen it. Yeah. I have seen it. In 1990, there was a car. It was made in the early 80s, and it exploded from electrical issues. See, I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying... It's not... It doesn't happen very it's, often. It's rare. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, uh, inside the car, they find a completely burned body. Burned beyond recognition. Near the car, they found skid marks, which indicated that the car's speed upon impact was about 50 to 60 miles an hour, which is pretty fast to be going down a back roads, let alone Mm -hmm. to be, you know, to run into something. If they found skid marks, wouldn't that mean she'd been on her brakes at some point? Okay, so that's that's the thing about it, is that when you see skid skid marks, the indication is that, one... You slammed on your brakes, or two, you slammed on your gas. So there was a lot of, of people that seemed to think that it was actually the latter, that someone had, and this was like, I want to say 100 feet away, but the, that someone had, the car was not moving, and someone had enabled the car. You'd have to peel to, out. To push forward, like slammed on the gas, and it ran forward from that point not yeah i would have to be sitting still and then push the because i've been at drag races and had friends that did that and you'd have to basically the car would have to almost kind of move sideways to get those tires yes yeah the fishtail yeah yeah so and that's another thing too is that i've never seen any photos of those mar- of those drag marks, mm, marks whatever um so i don't know if there was any indication of 
usually the starting point of that skid going forward when you peel out what they call yeah. it peel out um there's going to be a lot of rubber yes from that's what they call burning rubber there's going to be a lot of rubber from that and from the starting point and so if you're slamming on your brakes there might be a little bit of that but you're going to see a streak of rubber yes. when you're slamming on your brakes when you peel out that rubber is going to be in that basically that start point and then you'll see a tiny bit of peel and then it kind of fades away so i would be very interested to see if they had yeah. photos of that but mm. of course have you ever seen photos of that i think the unsolved mystery segment shows one photo of the crash scene which is in black and white right. that's the only real photo i've seen but what's great about the orig- the earliest seasons of unsolved mysteries is that they often filmed the reenactments in the exact location where these happened so if you watch the reenactments during the segment that is the exact bridge that's the exact location and you see it and it's like this does not seem like an environment where someone would willingly be going 50 to 60 miles per hour it looks like a pretty rough bridge so you think how could someone get into an accident going that fast at this particular location in the middle of nowhere that's interesting yeah and it was i'm glad that you confirmed that because um i actually did comparisons from the bridge today from google maps and those um, reenactment and crime scene photos and it it looks very different today it's been redone today it's Mm -hmm. mostly just concrete a concrete slab but that makes it look wider than it really is back then when she would have been driving that it would have been narrow like it's a pretty narrow Mm -hmm. you know road um i definitely most of it at the time was dirt literally dirt road Mm -hmm. and anyone who knows anything about the countries back road and stuff like that you know that you don't fly down those roads no because fish tailing and no, you're definitely not you're throwing gravel and you know and it, it's just yeah anytime. it's not safe and so you usually don't go i mean you might go 40 maybe 50 pushing it but you usually don't go over like 40 on those back roads no there's a lot of surprises on <laughs> yeah. <back roads>. <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah so again wish i could see photos of the skid marks i think that would help in in our determination of whether it was started there or stopped there but that's something we may never know um it was also determined and here's another discrepancy that i found um so according to everything i have read or seen or listened to including the unsolved mysteries episode uh this crash took place at 10 40 in actuality, the crash, they had determined on the autopsy report that it actually took place at 9.40 a.m. So one hour earlier than we seemingly think that it happened. I seem to recall the Unsolved Mystery segment said that the farmer who saw the smoke saw it at 10.40. So I don't know if that's supposed to indicate that maybe she crashed an hour earlier and that was the first time he saw it. I don't know. It does say on the autopsy report that he called police at 11 a.m., so that could be the reference. Um, And then it even says that um, what time the coroner showed up, and it was like noon and stuff like that. Um, But I like that 1040, I think, just sticks in everyone's mind. And it's so strange that I get on there and you, you know, you look through this autopsy report and you're like, there's not a single 1040 on there. We have an 11 a.m. and we have a 940. And there could be some mix-ups and, you know, it's been a while. And again, I do want to say that 
a full autopsy report was not done because they did think that this mm-hmm. was an accident. So basically what we have is in the autopsy report, we actually only have the short details of showing up to the scene and we have a toxicology report. And I'm guessing the toxicology report, now that's usually normal in a car accident because they want to see if they were drinking and driving. There was nothing to indicate that she had anything in her system while she was driving. What was it that caused her to run off the road? That's the big question here. And the 940 time makes things even more confusing because you're thinking, well, I don't know what time her kids left for school, but you have to assume it would be between 7.30 and 8. And she winds up dead just over two hours later. But when you narrow it to 940, you're like, what could have happened in such a narrow window of time that led to her going out there and being killed? Exactly. Exactly. So I was actually thinking about this because, because it narrowed that window so much. I was like, okay, So we're narrowing it down by an hour, which means her kids probably would have left for school probably around eight o'clock. This drive, I actually have the exact location of where this happened because it's on the autopsy report. So I actually looked from her home address to this point to see how far it was. And it is like 17 miles, 17 point something something miles so if you're going on the, which there is a highway you can get to, to to go there so if you're going on the highway you're going 60 65 miles an hour you're going to get there in between 17 and 25 minutes so if we average that out and we say it, it took 20 minutes to get there well you got to mark 20 minutes off of that time so we're going from 9 40 to 9 20 the kids leave and you're probably free by 8, 15, 8, 20. So that's one hour. Like, what could have gone wrong in one hour? I mean, if she drove out there of her own accord, like maybe she had a reason to go out there and there wasn't any foul play involved in the house, you could think that, well, she decided to drive away uh, almost immediately after her children left school. Mm-hmm. But we don't have any reason for her to go there because, as we're going to talk about, her husband said, we had never been out in the area before. There's no reason for Aileen to drive onto that lonely dirt road. Right. We will go over theories later Mandy mm-hmm. <laughs> so they did a check to see who owned this vehicle and this is another confusing part for me because I was actually talking to Mandy about this a couple days ago um, they used the tag number to look up and see who the car was registered to the car was registered to Pat Conway which is Aileen Conway's husband So they assumed because Aileen was missing when this happened that it was, in fact, Aileen in the car. I did not see anywhere what on what means they used to identify Aileen. I don't know if they also used dental records um, or anything like that. I did not find anywhere that stated the verification process of that. And that's a good point because I've seen discussion threads about this case from online sleuths and some people push forward the theory. How do we know it was Aileen in the car? Maybe it was someone who stole her car and disposed of her body at another location. And because there was no DNA testing back then, they never bothered to check. I mean, it's a long shot. That's what happened. But when you think about that, it's like, hmm, how did they confirm it was actually her other than the car being a match? (laughs) Exactly. And I mean, I know that it would be a rarity for her to be missing and it to not be her in the car. 
But this is why we have verifications, you know. So it'd be, it would just be really nice to know, like, what form of verification they use to verify, you know, that this was, in fact, Aileen in the car. Her and her husband had seven children together. They had four daughters and three sons. I believe that two of them were already out of the house. And five children were still school-aged. So they were still in the home. You know, she was still homemaking, getting them off to school every day, stuff like that. Her and Pat had been married as of this incident for 33 years. That's a very long time to be married. Seven kids together. Uh, Authorities reported Aileen's death as an accident, but Pat actually doubted that official story. Pat would eventually conclude that his wife had been murdered. He said, quote, there's no doubt in my mind it was murder. And if I live to be 100 years old, I'll still be pushing to try to find the individual or possibly two individuals, whoever was involved. So what made Pat suspicious? This is another point of confusion for a lot of people because after this incident, Pat returned home and he found some very strange things waiting for him. The first thing was that the patio door was wide open. Granted, I am also have kind of a mom brain sometimes and I have pets, so I'll open the back door and just let them go in and out, you know, because we have it, it's all fenced off and everything, so he just comes in and out as he wants to. So that's not super uncommon for me in my brain, but I don't know if they had pets or not. See, and I'm the opposite. Everything's not locked up like Fort Knox. (laughs) (laughs) And and this is the thing that, that gets us both, because we know ladies usually don't leave the house without their important things like their purse their wallet um stuff like that and and aileen's purse was actually still in the home and this was something that she always had with her if even if she left the house obviously to run an errand you you might need some money you might need to stop for gas whatever it is you're going to take your purse with you aileen's purse was still in the home her driver's license was still there, her glasses, and I, I couldn't find anywhere on what type of glasses she needed, whether it was, you know, like me, where I have to wear them all the time, or if it was like just reading glasses or what they were. To me, I don't know the level of importance of leaving them behind, I guess you could say. Well, I know that all the available photos of her we've seen, she's not wearing glasses. So I don't know if that indicates that they were just reading glasses or something. Right. It makes me think that they're reading glasses because, like you just said, every photo I've seen of her, she's not wearing glasses at all. And so that makes me think that she just needed them to read. It's not like she, she didn't need them to drive, something like that. But... The fact that her purse is there and her ID is in it. So that's just a little strange thing there. To build onto the strangeness. So there was an ironing board that was set up. There was actually an iron on the board and it was turned on. That is real weird because as a mom, (laughs) like safety first... You, even if your kids aren't there, you're always kid conscious. You are probably not going to walk away from that ironing board for a prolonged period of time. Yeah, and I doubt they had automatic turnoffs back then. No, I <laughs> doubt they did. Um, the other weird thing was that there was a garden hose that was ran into a swimming pool in the back, and it was on. 
as to indicate that she was filling up the swimming pool and just left it, just like she dropped it and vanished. Um, And then in the master bathroom, and I do want to mention real quick, I have some information on this home just to kind of give everyone an idea of of how big this home was, what the home looked like. Um, This home was a four-bedroom, three-bath home. It was 3,400 square feet. It's imagine. (laughs) It's huge. It was 3,400 square feet. Um, It was sold back in 2000 for like 118K. Today, it's like a $250,000 home. It was built in 1960, so it was fairly new. It was only like 20 years old at the time. Fireplaces, uh, very nice big home. For things like this to be strung out all over the home is very strange because usually when you're doing something in the home, you're doing chores or whatever, you kind of move from one room to to the next. Like you finish everything in one room, then you move to the next, then you move to the next. This was just like, there was just stuff going on everywhere. I mean, everywhere in this home. In the master bathroom, the tub was full of water. Now, it wasn't running, which is strange in itself because it's like, did you fill the tub and think you're going to take a bath after you did all this other stuff, but then your water would be cold by then? Like, it's so strange. Unless she had just taken one, but you would think she'd let the water out. Well, and that's the thing, too, is that something that I would have been looking for that we'll just never know was there like a soap ring to indicate that she had just taken a bath? You know how you can see the yeah. little soap ring around? Like, what was the water dirty? Was the water clean? Like, there's so many questions <laughs> that I have. I seem to recall that the Unsolved Mysteries reenactment showed a soap ring, but we don't know how accurate that is, if, if the scene was really like that. <laughs> right, right. The phone was off the hook. Now, in the Unsolved Mysteries episode, they indicated that the phone that was off the hook was actually in the master bathroom. I don't know if that's a fact or if if that's something they assumed. I'm not sure. Maybe like someone called when she was taking a bath and she had to exit it. Well, in the episode, they made it look like she had like carried the phone in there and set it next to to the bathtub as if she were going to talk to somebody on the phone while she was taking a bath. But I don't know. The only thing that I have seen is from the husband, and he just simply says the phone was left off the hook. He never said where the phone was located, whether it was in the kitchen or in the... Like, he he just never said. So that's something I don't know. I do know it was left off the hook. I don't know where. And the reenactment shows the phone next to the bathtub, but we don't know if it's 100% accurate. <laughs> right. Yes, it does. To that point... Was it taken off the hook and gently set next to it, like it indicates in the episode? Or was it like flung off and like hanging down, you know, off the wall or something? We just don't know. A lot of these things, these little subtle nuances are things that can help you put this together a little better. And there's just no answers for some. Or maybe she was actively getting in the bathtub and was, you know, getting her clothes off, talking. Maybe she was talking on the phone. And she heard a noise in the other part of the house, set the phone down next to it, and then went to check the noise out. I'm kind of glad you said something there because there's also, um, I did see one short interview, you know, about the phone from Pat, the husband, where he says he doesn't know if she even used the phone. Um, He doesn't know who she called, if she made a call, who she was talking to. That's just something that's not known. 
No one ever came forward and said, I was speaking with Aileen when no one has ever said anything. Um, back then, like phone records weren't just like huge, yeah, especially for like mm-hmm. something that is, has been indicated as an accident. The, they probably wouldn't have used their resources for that. Yeah. So again, another big yeah. question. <laughs> because because it was drilled an accident, it's not like they would have gone in there and taken photographs of the house to show the condition it was in. So we can only base it off of Pat's word, and we don't really know what the scene looked like because I'm sure it was never documented. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He was worried at first. He always thought that something had happened. But because it was ruled an accident, no, like you said, no one came in and looked at the home. No one came in and like scoured and went, are there fingerprints? Is there blood? Is there like, no one did any of that. And so we really only have what, what he has said. And, and that's another thing too, is that, man, I was scouring for any sort of interview from literally anyone in the family because I had heard that the family don't like to do interviews um, on this case. And so I, I did not find anything, anything other than one article and, of course, the Unsolved Mysteries episode. And he just kind of repeats himself from the episode. And so there's only so much information. Exactly. Like I know one person who tried to reach out to one of Aileen's children to get an interview for her website. And they pretty much said, no, the family has pretty much moved on because Pat has already passed away. And I get the impression he might have been the one who was trying to seek justice for. And that when he died, the family just decided... uh, we don't want to talk about this anymore. Right, right. When that happens, you know, it's really hard to, you know, it's not like people are reaching out saying, don't talk about this, you know, don't cover this. Um, But they're just, you know, radio silence. And I can understand, you know, after going through this and looking for answers and never coming up with anything, you're always, you know, back at a dead end. I can totally understand wanting to just be done, move on with your life and, you know, not worry about it anymore. There's also the fact that the, the case has gotten new attention the past six years because it kind of faded into obscurity, but now that Unsolved Mysteries has been released on Amazon Prime and YouTube and it's in the very first episode, I'm sure a new generation of people are being introduced to this case and I'm they may be trying to contact the family and they finally decided, oh no, this is happening again. We just don't want to talk about it because we just wanted to move on. Right, and my suggestion is, um, you know, we could have tried to contact the family on this one but with all of those indicators my gut told me to just leave it you know Mm -hmm. like they don't it's not like they have shown any indication that they're upset with anyone covering it they just don't want to be a part of it Mm -hmm. you know so um my suggestion would be in the future just just leave the family alone guys out there if you want an armchair detective or whatever just make sure that you're being respectful of their privacy i did go back and look at the farmer's almanac for the day of the crash we all know well we know oklahoma can be a bit crazy for the weather oh yes yes but on that day the weather was actually very nice It was Mm -hmm. that morning, the minimum was 62 degrees, the max was 87 that day, no rain, clear skies, light winds. Um, it was it was a really nice day. Yeah. So I'm just saying those thinking that, oh, maybe it was like a thunderstorm and she, you know, 
just like this crazy theatrical thing in the brain that goes, well, maybe a lightning strike hit a tree and it fell in front of her and she swerved and hit the bridge. Like, no, none of that happened. No, I've never heard anything to indicate that there was any weird anomalies out there which could have caused her to crash her car. It just seemed like an ordinary sunny day. Mm -hmm. It was. And there was, uh, by all reports, the roads were clear. Like, there wasn't anything in the roadways, Um, especially on the back roads. You can get people hitting deer and stuff like that. Or a dog runs across the road or whatever. But no one had reported anything like that happening that just adds to the mystery because well it was a beautiful clear day in Oklahoma and we have this horrible crash happening for seemingly no reason at all so I have a little excerpt here from investigator Ray Anderson now Pat contacted Ray Anderson at at the district attorney's office because he was very iffy on what happened and he wanted to look into seeing how they could further along this investigation change it at least get someone looking into it as if it wasn't an accident. Ray Anderson actually said, the first impression that I had of this case when I met with Mr. Conway was that of a spouse that was left alone, not expecting the tragedy that happened and looking for some reason as to why this happened. Other than that, it was just an accident. However, when you start looking at the extenuating and surrounding circumstances, the way that she left her house, it leads you to believe that there is a possibility that there could have been foul play. A few days later, Pat and Ray Anderson went out to the crash site. They wanted to look for clues themselves. And here's, I'm about to give you another crazy little thing to this story. So they found a church bulletin in the grass about 200 feet from the bridge now you're thinking raven it's oklahoma it's the bible belt (laughs) of course there's a (laughs) church bulletin okay however this specific church bulletin was from their church that they attended and it was actually from the previous sunday's service And Pat had indicated that the last time he saw that bulletin, that there was a bulletin on the dash of Aileen's car. How did that bulletin, if it was in fact the one from Aileen's car, end up 200 feet away from the car, unburned, untouched in the grass? Ray actually asked Pat, is it possible that it could have flown out the window? And he said, well... Aileen was very particular when she drove. She didn't like to drive with the windows down. She loved to crank up the air conditioner and let it blow in her face. And so it's very unlikely that she would have had the windows down for any reason. That's another clue for me for foul play. It's an anomaly. I'll tell you Mm -hmm. that. That is another thing that might indicate that the car had been stopped at some point and restarted along the way because if she didn't like to open her windows well maybe she stopped and opened the car door and it flew out i know that when i did my original trail went cold episode i kind of speculated maybe the flyer was a red herring that maybe it belonged to someone else who went to that church and left it in that location but the more i've learned about this location and how remote it is and we technically don't even know what church the conways went to it just seems like too much of a coincidence that this bulletin from their church from the previous sunday would be so close to the location where her car crashed so now i am leaning more towards it being the same bulletin 
Edmonton from her car. I also don't know. Now, I did see, man, I saw somewhere. I just forgot to write it down which church they went to. But I do know it was a church in Lawton. It was actually in the town of Lawton. Mm-hmm. And this location, again, was 18 miles from Lawton. Like you said, it's very unlikely unless someone else that also had a church bulletin in their car had followed her or something and it came out of their car instead, it's highly likely that it's actually Aileen's bulletin. But then how did it get out of the car before the car burned? This is a very frustrating case. Yes, it is. Because every time you think you can give an answer, there's another question. I know. Okay, so... Um, what Ray Anderson said about his theory was, quote, someone else may have been with her, opened the door, set the accelerator and slammed it into drive, hoping to run Mrs. Conway off into the creek and to make it appear that it was an accident, end quote. So that's what he thought happened at the time. Which would make sense if they were trying to stage a crash, but you still don't know why would they want to do it for this 50-year-old housewife who did not appear to have any known enemies. That's what's strange about it. <laughs> I know. That's that's the big question is that there are no indications that anyone would be out to get her, that she had made any enemies. So then was it random? Is there a piece of the puzzle that we don't know about that we're not seeing that was never maybe was never publicized as a result of anderson's investigation the lawton da changed the official cause of death from accident to unexplained the da then asked the oklahoma state bureau of investigation and the state fire marshal to evaluate the possibility of arson so reports from may 1980 and and here's a little extra that i found here's a little extra that i found floating around on the interwebs. I don't know how, I don't know if this is credible or not, but I did want to throw it out there since there's so many theories floating around. So media reports from May 1986 would state that there was in fact jewelry missing from the Conway residence the day Aileen was found at this crash site. Additionally, according to a source that was close with the family, Aileen was saving up for a trip overseas. She was supposedly going to go on a mission trip. And those savings had turned up missing as well after this event. I do not know how much she had in savings. I know that if you're saving up for a trip overseas, it's gonna you're going to need a lot. But I don't know how much she actually saved to this point. Or if that is just another... <laughs> thing floating in the wind that's not actually true at all. But I thought it was interesting enough to at least bring it up here. I have seen that article that mentions the missing jewelry, and the thing that makes me a bit skeptical is the Unsolved Mysteries segment was made about a year and a half earlier, and why wouldn't they have mentioned that particular piece of information? If Aileen had savings that were missing, why didn't they mention that either? Because the show, if there was a suspicious death and there was evidence pointing towards foul play, they would usually mention it. And I just find it weird that... uh, there have been no other sources that mention the savings or the, the jewelry. That's interesting. Yeah, it, yeah, I agree completely because from my point of view, I think that Unsolved Mysteries has always, and they still even to this day after the reboot, they do really good research. They really put time and effort into the stories that they cover that are, you know, court cases of actual 
people. I'm not going to say UFOs. I don't know what kind of <laughs> I don't know what kind of research <laughs> they put into that. But I I have found them to be very reliable when they cover cases, um, you know, of missing people or you know unsolved deaths or whatever. So for this to have been going on for a year and you know them not to mention it is very strange to me as well. I mean, in the opposite direction, if it's a case involving a suspicious suicide or an accident, which the family says is foul play, sometimes they have left out evidence, which might point to suicide or accident, but they don't usually leave out evidence that points towards the foul play theory. Right. The exact opposite. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There was a man named Sonny Samson of the Oklahoma State Fair fire marshal's office and his statement said quote what made me suspicious at first was looking at the photographs and seeing how much burn was in the vehicle this thing was completely burnt and destroyed the burn looked like gasoline or something along those lines was used in it and another thing that brought my curiosity up was the fact that the gas cap was missing most arson cases and this is documented have a vehicle where the gas cap is removed and that was the case here, end quote. That is a very interesting thing mm-hmm. to me. I guess you could say, with all the chaos in the house, maybe she jumped in her car and was like, I need to get gas, and then just forgot to put the gas cap back on. But most people don't forget to put the gas cap back on. If she had gone to a gas station, you'd think there would be a record of it somewhere if she had stopped somewhere. So, And I don't think she's going to remove the cap before she arrives at the station. So. Right. Uh, I mean, I don't know if a car gets into a crash, if it's possible for a gas cap to just fly off and land at another location so that it's never found. It seems like they're on there pretty tight. Yeah. So the fact that it was missing was very, very suspicious. It is very suspicious. And for him to mention that, you know, and this is a state fire marshal. He has seen and done a lot of fire investigations. And for him to say that we really only see this in arson cases is very suspicious to me. You know. Yeah, it is interesting. They did a burn test. Okay. Now, they didn't test it. You have to remember, this is 1986. We didn't have the forensics then like we do now. Um, But what they did do was a burn test. They didn't do any testing on the actual car. They instead got a car exactly like Aileen's and tested it. So they conducted a test on the supposed flame retardant material um, that would have been in Aileen's car with a blowtorch. They used this blowtorch and tried to set it on fire, held it to the material for several minutes, and as soon as they turned the blowtorch off, the fire went out. Hence, flame retardant material. The second test they did was when they doused it with gasoline. (laughs) And guess what happened? Up in flames, burned to a crisp. There's a whole other thing there is... my theory. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like I said, cars are made with this type of material inside in order to keep... If your engine catches on fire, it's to try to keep it from moving back towards the gas tank you know so it's good it might move to it but if there is no chemicals accelerate accelerants anything like that it will probably stop there and be contained to the front of the car obviously that was not the case in this incident because the entire car was unless there was leaking gas again that's a possibility i didn't find any mention of 
any leakages. Because usually when you have like a trail or leakage or anything like that, they usually call in hazmat mm-hmm. to come in and quarantine yes. off and clean and do the cleanup for that. I didn't see any mention of that. I mean, we've seen a lot of crimes like this before where people are put into a car, someone puts gasoline on them and sets it on fire, hoping to make it look like an accident. But like I said, for a 50-year-old housewife like Eileen, like why would they do it to her? Why would they go out to this location? Why would they have accelerant on them in the first place? And how do they get back home? Like they obviously had to have a second vehicle in order to leave the scene. So why bring their vehicle and Aileen's vehicle out there? It doesn't make any sense. None of this Mm. makes any sense. Okay, so another thing that I found, and this is part of the toxicology report. So literally the only thing in Aileen's system was carboxyhemoglobin. Carboxyhemoglobin is an indicator of CO2 poisoning. So, for instance, when you have extremely high levels, when you see someone has a fatality from CO2 poisoning, um, or even being in a home where a fire has occurred, more than likely they have passed from the CO2 poisoning, not necessarily the fire, but the smoke from the fire. The levels in that indication is usually normally very high. Normally you will see over 40% almost every time. If you see someone who has died in a fire, you are going to see that they have very high levels of carboxyhemoglobin in their systems. The strange part here is that Aileen only had 15% in her system, which indicates that she did, in fact, inhale some of the smoke, but not enough to kill her. So something else killed her before she could continue to get to a toxic level of CO2 poisoning. So she had 15%. A toxic level for her at her age would have been around 40 to 50%. So to me, that tells me that she was at least alive for a portion of that fire. So then the question is, what actually killed Aileen if it wasn't the smoke from the fire and it wasn't the fire itself? Was it the impact of the car? Was it simply a car accident? Because you can see that in car accidents where someone, you know, hits a tree and then the car goes you know, go, goes up in smoke, but, but the actual impact is what has caused the injuries and then they later pass away from that. Or... Was she stabbed? Was she shot? Was she something like that before the car was set on fire? Something happened to her before the car set on fire that allowed her to live long enough to inhale some of this smoke before she passed away. I remember you sent me this autopsy report and it's like, well, uh, once I saw that thing about the carbon monoxide, it's like, well, that's pretty obvious that, that she was the victim of foul play. Someone killed her beforehand and staged the crash. But then I realized, nope, she could have been killed in the actual crash itself. Right. So she was just lying in the front dead before it really caught fire. And that's why it wasn't in her lungs. So it doesn't really answer questions either way. But uh, you know, that's the problem, though, is that because it was ruled an accident, they never actually checked her body for any injuries so that could have resolved the situation but they never bothered to do that right and i do want to also mention that um there's like a life um of carboxyhemoglobin in your system like this is why when you see 
anywhere. You see someone being pulled out of a fire and the firefighter puts the mask on you. It's because you combat that carboxyhemoglobin in your system with pure oxygen, 100% pure oxygen. What the CO2 poisoning is doing is it's competing with the oxygen in your system. Instead of allowing you to have oxygen, it is combining in a way that it wants to be the only thing in your system. Not oxygen, me instead. There's the life of how long this stays in your system. Now, it can stay in your system without the oxygen. If, if, if you're untreated, it can stay in your system for three to four hours. If you combat it with oxygen, you can cut that down by half. So you're gonna have all of these CO2 poisoning type symptoms until it's completely out of your blood, like nausea, vomiting. Um, you can also be disoriented. You can black out. You can, there's like so many of these symptoms that you can have. So that also makes me wonder, because I'm not a firefighter. Um, I did talk to some firefighters for this, but I'm not a firefighter. So it, it makes me wonder at what point do you start experiencing those levels? Like what point do you start experiencing the symptoms? Was 15% enough for her to experience those symptoms? And if so, what impact does it have on what happened in this incident? We also know that she didn't inhale that much of it. So that indicates to me that she didn't she wasn't breathing for long after that yeah. fire started anyway. Yeah. So I'm presuming that if she was killed instantly, there would have zero levels in it, like if she was already dead. Exactly, exactly. Gasoline can be used to put over your face and make someone pass out. Mm-hmm. Like um, ether. Like ether. Like Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> so you probably wouldn't see very high levels from that if it were in your system from just simply being used to make her pass out that could also be where that 15% came from you know she could have been rendered unconscious that way then put in the car and not have and and that can also kill you by the way if you inhale enough of it that can also just straight out kill you so was she unconscious or was she already dead when someone put her in a car and set it off into the bridge Mm -hmm. so now now mandy (laughs) we are into the theories section i do want to preface this with these are all theories they are theories that either we have or they are theories that we have seen somewhere or heard someone say from the deep darkness of the internet who knows but we're throwing i'm just going to throw everything that i've heard out here um and we'll see where we land and i'm not really one that just throws out theories but in this case it's almost like you have to you have you but you pretty much have to in order to even discuss this case you pretty much have to and and the thing about it is is with cases like this sometimes cases need theories in order to be moved along because maybe there's a theory someone hasn't thought of that might be the right answer. And this is one of those rare theory uh, cases where no matter what theory we throw out, none of them are going to make 100% complete sense. Every theory is going to have at least one hole in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, exactly. So let's start with the biggest theory that I have heard, which is the interrupted robbery. So this theory is where... um, Now, we had heard in the media um, that... There were several burglaries in the area of where Aileen lived. 
around the time that this happened. So I think this is why this theory is so prominent because of that string of robberies that had been happening in her neighborhood. And it had only been, you know, a couple weeks prior to her death. And of course we have the maybe information that there was jewelry taken or money missing. That seems to line up with a ro- interrupted robbery as well. So this theory goes that Aileen has gotten her kids off to school. She has is settling in. Maybe she has taken them to school and come back and there's someone in her home trying to rob her home. She interrupts this person, and this person immediately points a gun at her, points a knife at her, says, turn around. And she maybe she had just put down her purse, you know, inside the house, and she has nothing with her. She's left all of her um, chores that she had been doing so that she could come back quickly and, and pick that stuff back up or maybe she simply walked the kids to the bus or whatever and came back and someone was in her home this person in this theory or persons made her get into her own car and drive out to this back road and somehow killed her somehow set the car up to accelerate into the bridge, and that's how that happened. That is a very sophisticated burglar, because you would think if someone's breaking into houses for a living, they're just, if they run into someone and they're afraid of being identified, they would just kill them in the house or something. They wouldn't go to this much trouble to take them out into the country. And if they really wanted to take them to a remote area and stage an accident, there are other rural areas before that particular bridge that they could have done it. So why go to that particular spot? I agree. Mm -hmm. That's very yes that's too planned exactly all the things that was just said exactly that's why it doesn't make any sense to me like usually I've actually never heard of a interrupted burglary that in that the result was death in which someone made the person leave the home I've actually I've just and I've I've never heard of that it usually is they kill them right right then and there and then take off so that's, and in their own car, too. I yes, mean, yeah. Uh, this is Mandy's theory, that it was a burglary, but that the perpetrators actually knew the family and knew exactly what they were going after, which was the jewelry and the mission trip money. And the only people that really would have known about the mission trip money are people that she went to church with. For me, I, I just just a theory, but it would explain the level of planning that it seems like this would have taken to take her way out into the country where no one would see them. They, you know, now how she got into the, the seat and excelled into the bridge and all that, I don't know. That part I don't but know. But it might explain the church bulletin if it wasn't her church bulletin, if it fell out of someone else's car that she went to church with and it was their church bulletin. Or someone was driving her car or, yeah. and had put ether over mm-hmm. her mouth mm-hmm. and she was passed out in the passenger seat and they were driving the car with the windows down mm-hmm. and it flew out. Yeah. That would still require two cars though. Somebody would have had to have picked that person up. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so um, the another theory is that the assailant knew that she would be home alone at this particular time and broke in in order to sexually assault her and then forced her into, did not do it there, forced her into her own vehicle and out on this lonely back road 
They parked the car and got out, which is when the bulletin fell out of the car, and then they sexually assaulted her, and then they staged her death. That one doesn't make sense to me. You could do that at the house. You don't yeah, have to I go mean, that yes. far. <laughs> Why drive out in the middle of nowhere to then have someone pick you up? I mean, the only thing I can think of is that maybe, whatever it is, they didn't want neighbors to hear her screaming or something like that because they did have very close neighbors looking at the home that may have heard something happening in the house which no one has reported hearing anything from the house from that day but that's a theory as to why they would have taken her out to some back road instead of doing whatever in the home. And we don't have any idea of what clothing she was wearing that day either. Like uh, if she was still wearing pajamas or a robe when her kids left to school or if she got changed because she was burned so badly, there was no clothing left. So I don't know if they discovered any particular clothes missing from the house to give any indication what she would have been wearing at the time of her death. Yes, you're absolutely right. I, I did not find any indication on what she was wearing that day, whether she was fully dressed or in a robe, like you said, I haven't seen anything to that effect. It makes me think that she left with someone of her own free will. Someone came and said, hey, let's go here. Let's run here real quick. But then she left her purse. I know. So that's yeah. <laughs> that's always the thing is like, if you came to my door and you're like, hey, run up here to the quick to the, the um, quick stop with me real quick. I'm like, all right, I'd grab my purse. Now, there's been times where I've ran real quick with someone when I didn't want to spend any money <laughs> and I conveniently <laughs> forgot my purse. But your ID as well. Yeah. I wouldn't bring anything. Oh, well. <laughs> um, you know, it's possible that someone could have said, Kim, but why wouldn't she get into their car? Y- yes. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> it's the part of her car that doesn't make any sense. I don't know. Um, another theory and this is, I think, one of the most outlandish theories, but I guess I can understand how they got here because, as we talked about before, we didn't see any way that they actually verified that this was Aileen. So this theory involves her faking her own death and finding a substitute victim to put in the car, and then it was lit on fire and burned beyond all recognition, and now she's living in some, like, Costa Rica or something. <laughs> I mean, they have done segments like this on Unsolved Mysteries where people did that, but those were usually drug dealers or yeah. professional criminals, not yeah. someone like yeah. Aileen, <laughs> who seemed to live an ordinary life. <laughs> didn't you, Robin, didn't you have a case that you covered where a man was discovered, like, he was missing for a very long time, and he was discovered somewhere, not like, very recently? Uh, on Unsolved Mysteries, they once did one about a guy named Clarence Roberts, who was having a bunch of financial problems in the 1970s, and they found his charred body inside a burning barn and initially thought it was him, but it turned out it was likely a transient that he picked up oh. and murdered to fake his own death. And then 10 years later, Clarence and his wife were killed in another house fire, and they were pretty sure, yep, he was dead for real this time, oh, wow. and he had been living uh, off wow. somewhere else for the past 10 years after faking his death. Okay, but that- again, this was a guy... With serious financial problems who had a history of criminal activity, so I can wow. see him doing it. <laughs> right, and oh, that's a wild story, but... I know. I'm like, wow. <laughs> but but I think the underlying thing is, is, is the financial thing. Like, that is usually the biggest motivator for why people do things like that. And there was no indication that they were having any sort of dire financial problems. And if that were the case, you would think that her husband would be in on it too and they would both disappear to Costa Rica or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it doesn't make sense that he would go, okay, you disappear, and I'll stay here and take care of the kids. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just yeah, doesn't. Exactly. Um, there is another theory that, zooming past all of the reasons why she would have been out on that back road, there is a theory that while she was on the back road, she suffered some sort of medical emergency, like she had a stroke or she went into diabetic shock, had really low blood sugar, passed out, had some sort of medical reaction or an anaphylactic shock, like a bee sting, something like that happened, and she drove into the the bridge after or during that you know event but where was she where was she going out there you know what i mean like that doesn't make sense to me because who knows where was she going (laughs) i don't know well and where was she going that leads me into another theory (laughs) that she was actually having an affair and that her lover lived somewhere around that area and that's why she was in the area and that would also be why the husband would not have known that area or known that she frequented that area. I mean, that's possible. You don't want to accuse like deceased victims of having an affair when we don't know that for certain, but yeah. uh, it would also explain for why she's out in an area that she had no known connection to. And of course, it still wouldn't explain how she wound up dead unless right. it was just some startling coincidence where she gets into a crash while she's going to see her secret lover right yeah i mean i'm not accused by any means what i say that she was having one but i mean it does it's I'm the just only saying, thing that makes any sense so far for her to for be in her, that area to, yes for her to be in the area that's the only thing that adds up to me so far but i mean it could boil down to because you know how these small towns are maybe she was driving out there to buy three dozen farm fresh eggs we don't know <laughs> we just don't know but with her purse being left at home and everything i'm that's just not true maybe, i mean it, and there's always the possibility that she just forgot her purse but if you're going somewhere to make a purchase of some sort well, and you're going that far away. Say that she was having an affair or whatever, and she was driving that far away. Why would you leave your purse? Right. I don't know. And your I license. Don't know. You know, it just doesn't make any I sense. I do not know, Mandy. Because <laughs> you, you would, the last thing you'd want is to leave anything and have someone worry about where you are when, you, when you're trying to be somewhere you shouldn't be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. So that theory doesn't make sense either. I know. Um, another theory to add on to that. She already had some sort of reason for being in that area. Um, there's another theory that while she was in that area, driving onto the hi- driving on the highway, she was actually going somewhere else, and she was on the highway, and there was a road rage incident where someone got super mad at her for something. Maybe she cut them off in traffic or something and began chasing her, honking at her, whatever, which prompted her to pull off onto some back roads and go down these back roads trying to lose this person, and they possibly ran her off the road. I mean, we we know how angry Oklahomans are, so... (laughs) (laughs) Unsolved Mysteries has shown some other cases where people were killed senselessly in road rage incidents where that seemed to be the only discernible motive, so that could make sense, but we sound like a broken record, though, but what about the purse? Why did she leave without the purse? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it could be that someone got her out of the house and said I'm going to follow you somewhere let's go meet somewhere or something and then accelerated and pushed her into the guardrail I just don't know Um, there's another theory that this was some sort of plot 
um, for some type of revenge murder for something she or a family member did. I don't know how well that holds up, seeing as how from, from everything that I've seen, they were pretty upstanding citizens that didn't have any issues with anyone. I haven't seen any indications of problems with anyone, so... That seems pretty outlandish for me. No, I mean, of course, you never know what goes on behind closed doors, but still. Right. There is another theory. <laughs> there's there's a, a million theories. I have a lot of theories written down here. Mm-hmm. I wrote down all the ones that, like, hadn't been repeated. I just wrote them down. So, and, and this theory that I'm about to tell you about, this is an actual scam. It's still a scam to this day. I was actually just telling you about this scam, like, last week. But it's a scam where... Some random person calls you and says that your loved one is has been put in jail, is in trouble, is something, and they need bail money. And you need to give them money right now or something horrible is going to happen. Um, the, the scam even ramped up a bit in this last week where... A woman, and she's actually on TikTok telling her story now, but she was contacted on the phone and this person, completely random person, told her, I have your sister and if you don't send me $5,000 right now, I'm going to kill her. Like this is a, this is a real scam that's happening. Um, and she was absolutely horrified in tears. Her mother just happened to be in the other room and heard what was happening and called her sister and her sister was totally fine. Now, we have that luxury of having multiple phones in the home, multiple phone lines. This scam has been known to go back to the, the 50s and 60s. Like, it's a pretty long-standing scam. The one thing, again, that I would not understand um, if this scam was pulled on Aileen in order to hurriedly get her out of the home is, why did she leave her purse behind? (laughs) If she needed money to bail someone out or whatever, but she could have instead taken that mission trip money. Hmm, interesting. Hmm, right? If it existed, I mean, we don't know for certain if this mission trip money existed, but right. uh, I have seen this theory pushed online that it could explain the phone being off the hook, like her leaving the iron on and the patio door open, if it was something that made her leave in a huge hurry. If she was told one of your kids is in danger, your kid has been in an accident, she would just leave without thinking of anything else, leave her purse behind, and maybe drive out to this remote area if she's told that your child is out there and that's when she was ambushed. This is actually my top theory right now. Just because I know for a fact that this scam exists and I've heard from actual victims of this scam. If you go and look at Lori Fulbright, she is a um, crime reporter here in Tulsa. And she's done this job for like 30 something years. Um, But she now has several TikToks and she talks about crimes and scams and she does all these speeches and stuff. And she actually talks about that scams like that and how long they've been going on. And to know that a scam like that has been happening since phones existed, you know, and back then you have to remember that there was this nice little thing called the yellow pages and the white pages. And in those pages, they not only put your home phone number, but they would put your name, uh, relatives who lived in the home, your address in these phone books that anyone had access to. So if you knew that someone was, you know, keeping a lump sum of money for a mission trip, whatever, 
That would be a great scam to pull, I think. But then that would, uh, to me... It would circle back around to your theory... Of someone from the church. Of them knowing. Right. Mm -hmm. And they pulled a scam on her. Right. Maybe our theories go together. There we go. (laughs) Just combine two theories. That's the solution. Yeah. (laughs) And... Another interesting detail we haven't mentioned yet is that Pat Conway ran a marble flooring business in Lawton. That was his job, and apparently he ran this business until nearly he died. So if someone was familiar with the family, knew that Pat would be working that day, knew that Aileen would be home alone, they could have used this as an opportunity to contact her and unleash this scam. Right, exactly. And again, going back to Lori Fulbright, I just saw a thing where she had, um, she was like busting some myths about burglaries and scammers and stuff like that, and people tend to think that stuff like that happens at night um especially like burglaries um because you know under the veil of moonlight or whatever people can get in and out of homes without being seen but that's not actually true most burglaries and scams and stuff like that take place between the hours of 8 a.m and 3 p.m because they usually know that either a no one will be home and they can come in and take whatever they want or that one person is probably going to be the only one there if they do a phone call scan. Well, cuz the other people are going to be at work. I you know, I think she went maybe went to drop her kids off, came back. The pool could have already been going since the early that morning cuz it takes a while to fill up the pool. Um I know when my dad used to do that, when he would put it in there for hours. So, you know, that could have he even the husband could have done that before he went to work. Mm-hmm. And then she could have came back, you know, put her keys in her purse down, went in to start the, you know, draw a bath, and then heat up the ironing board while she was in the bath, and then got a phone call or picked up the phone to call for help after she heard someone in the house and she didn't make it. There is one last big theory that I have and it's the one that no one wants to talk about because no one wants to implicate that there were any mental health issues now we know that mental health is very important and we're not stating that this at all happened or that she had any mental health issues but there is the fact that we just don't know what her mental status was we don't know if she had any mental issues we don't know if she suffered from depression or bipolar disorder or if she you know took medication for any of those things we just don't know but this last theory involves that of postpartum depression because she did have seven children back to back Um, it is pretty well known that if you suffer postpartum especially with your first or second child Every child there on after, you are going to suffer even more harshly. And I know that a lot of people out there don't understand postpartum depression, but it's, it is absolutely something that can come up out of nowhere. You've never had any, any mental disorders before. You've never suffered from depression before. And then you have your first child and your hormones are crazy and you just get very overwhelmed. And it, it can feel like an existential crisis to to a person who is suffering from postpartum depression and it gets worse and worse if you have no support if there's no support system in place if you're you're raising you know your husband's going to work every day and you're home and you're the only main caretaker of seven children and now you're pushing your your 50s 
and you're starting to go through menopause maybe and all of those things are starting to add up that theory is that postpartum moved into menopause and just caused her to stop what she was doing and grab her keys and walk out the door and that was that end of story I will say to that effect I have myself suffered postpartum depression There have been plenty of times when I picked up my keys, I left my purse at home, I left things going in the house. You don't really think about those things. All you think about is, I just need to get out of here. I just need to take a break. I just need to take a breath. I just need to get away from this house for a minute. I drove, which is something that I can see her doing. Like, that's not out of the ordinary for me. I just got in my car and I would just drive. Now, I know that there's always ways. Like, I never thought about, oh, I need to have my driver's license with me. I just, that's just, when you're going through that, that's just not things that you think about. You think about, I just need to get out of here. I need to get some fresh air. I need to get some perspective. I need to get away. I just need to be for a minute. And so, I mean, I also think that that's very likely. I'm not saying that she took her own life. What I am saying is that it is very likely that she got overwhelmed and needed to just get away for a little bit. I have ended up two hours away from home by just needing, just getting out and driving. You know, if you're doing that and you don't, it's 1986 and you don't have GPS, maybe she got lost. Maybe she stopped on the side of that road just to kind of breathe in some fresh air and maybe that's where the bulletin fell out and then I don't know anything could have happened from there a stranger could have come by assaulted her or robbed her or whatever um she also could have done this herself she it also could be a pure accident where maybe a deer jumped out in front of her who knows to me I feel like it's not completely um out of the ordinary for a woman suffering something like that to just end up several, you know, several miles from home. The only thing that doesn't make sense to me is the car being so engulfed. That's, and that's the one thing that always Mm -hmm. throws me off. Because even after all of that, why would the gas cap be missing? Why would the car have been on, on fire so bad? And that's why I say anything could have happened if maybe she stopped on the side of the road. Maybe she got a flat. Maybe she, maybe something happened out there on that back road where someone saw her and took advantage of that situation. I mean, your theory would explain so many of the anomalies in this case because we keep trying to apply standard logic to the weird stuff in her house, like the purse being left behind and the tile full of water and the iron being left on. But if she's having a mental health episode and just suddenly has to leave and then drive out to an area she'd never been to before, that would explain so much. But like you said, the one thing it doesn't explain is the possible presence of accelerant on her car. And it just seems if she happened to drive and cross paths with a killer out there in this remote area that would be one hell of a coincidence that is rare but it does happen here like my husband is a paramedic here in the city he works with a lot of fire a lot of police and they they basically tell him that if you see someone broke down on the side of the road do not stop to help them because you never know what's going to happen and we know plenty of serial killers that picked their killers at random on highways. The I-45 killer, the I, what is it? I-30, I-30 killer, I-9, like all of these different serial killers 
who just happened upon their victims, a lot of them were stranded on the side of the road. But not in that rural road. I don't know. Who knows? I mean, there was some serial killers around Lawton at that time, but... And that's another. That is another thing but I'm glad you said. But not way out there. No, <laughs> but... But if you talk to our friends at Oklahoma Cold Cases, <laughs> they do know a lot about um, Lawton, and they there there are a lot of murders that take place in Lawton. There is. And it seems to correlate with the fact that there is that military base there because there's such an influx of people from year to year. You never know who's coming in and out of Lawton. So I don't know. See, it just, and and not that that could not be exactly what happened and I could be looking too much into it, but it just seems too cliche. It might be. You know what I mean? Just this, I don't know. Have you ever heard that, um, that saying, they say this in the medical professional profession, that if you hear hoof, hoofbeats it's usually a horse it's probably not a zebra <laughs> have you heard that <laughs> they just thought well i'll just carry accelerant with me and then just go ahead and throw it on her car i just well i don't know i will say and i'm i'm this is just i feel like it's a southern thing because um anywhere that has a lot of back roads a lot of people working fields a lot of people with um like farm equipment a lot of people carry accelerants, carry gasoline, gas cans, and stuff like that. I can tell you something for sure. People in Missouri do not. <laughs> I told you that story. What happened to me just recently. People refuse to stop and help you with your gas. She ran out of gas on the side of the road. Oh, no. Oh, no. And had to call a tow truck to come give me gas for $80. Well, I'm just glad that you didn't get murdered. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just don't buy the whole thing. I don't, I mean, I don't completely buy anything we've said here. I almost <laughs> think it was too set up. Too, there's just too much time in the details. And I feel like that tells me that someone planned this. It could have well, been planned. I don't know if this is true, but I did speak to a listener who grew up in the Lawton area and said that Pat Conway's marble flooring business that during that time period he employed a lot of uh day players like day laborers and contractors who would come in do a few days of work he would pay them in cash and then they would leave town and there would be no record of it so theoretically if one of them became familiar with the conways the residents the routine they may have decided i want to burglarize this house or i want to attack his wife broke in there committed this crime and then immediately skipped town so no one ever looked at them as a potential suspect it could be just someone passing through the area that no one would even think to look at yeah exactly i almost feel like that is to me that's the most plausible scenario and then they wanted to get rid of the evidence so they so they went out to the middle of nowhere and thought yeah if we do it this way then no one can connect it to anyone. I do agree with the fact that I don't see any other reason for this to have happened other than the motivation of money. And the only money that they would have had that they knew that they could get their hands on would be that trip money. Or they had thought that her husband had money because of his job and thought they would just break in the house to steal what they could get. Well, but see, with that, I would have expected a ransom. Well, not necessarily. Because you don't know, I mean, you don't know where he stashes his money. Now, if they knew him well enough, maybe maybe they had a safe in the house or something, but... You know my theory. I feel like it's someone they knew. It, yeah. 
It could have I've been. said that from the beginning, Robin. And, I, I thought it was someone they knew. And I and I know that you mean you don't mean like knew personally closely for years and years. No, you mean someone that they knew who they were in their life somewhere. Yeah, that they knew enough, even cas- even just an acquaintance, mm-hmm. someone that had they have talked to enough where they knew that they had money. And just the fact that this happened so soon after the kids would have gone to school, it would have been someone who knew the residents, knew that yeah. Aileen would probably be alone that morning. And when you factor in that she may have died as early as 940, yeah. that indicates that if, if it was foul play, that someone went in there really, really quickly, right right after the yes. kids left. Yeah, and they were planning it. Yes, that's what, that's what leads me to believe that it was planned because everything happened in within an hour. Well, and it was so like coordinated yes everything was done and happened and and over with you know within an hour and 20 minutes so so many questions still linger here well one theory that we didn't mention and i want to completely discount it but i still see it mentioned online is the idea that pat conway was responsible for murdering his wife right and some people have speculated but the fact that it was ruled to be an accident at the start and the case was closed and pat pushed so hard to reopen the investigation and got the case on national television. It just makes no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, I don't think that he would want them solving a murder that he committed. No. I also agree that it most likely 99.9% was not Pat Conley. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some people point out that he did get remarried within two years, but I do not find that suspicious at all, that someone who's been married for 33 years would want not want to be alone and then find a spouse a few years later. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you get lonely and people mm-hmm. think, mm-hmm. well, but that's... but. People get older and they don't, if they're used to having someone, they don't want to be alone. Yeah. Especially after you spend 33 years with someone by your side, helping you do life with. You want the companionship. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't find that to be strange. I don't think that's strange at all. I'm going to say my closing thoughts are it was probably planned by someone that knew they had some money. I'm going to stick with my theory, the scam theory. No matter what theory's thrown out there, no matter what theory you hear, you know, on social media or on this podcast or in any podcast that has put this, you know, case on, the bottom line is we really don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. And by no means, shape, or form would we ever victim blame mm-hmm. and say that she did anything wrong. It doesn't matter what she was doing out on that road. Right. There is no reason that she should become a victim. Right. She had, you know, children. She had a husband. She had a life, and her life meant something. And so did her children's life and her husband's life. And to live with that the rest of their lives... Um, you know, especially her husband that's now passed away, mm-hmm. not knowing what happened to your own spouse. That's got to be very, very hard. Right. And so that's something we have to be very sensitive to when we think about this case. So our theories are just that. Mm-hmm. They're just theories trying to figure out what's going on with the case. Yes. They are not by any means, shape, or form project who these people were or what they did. Right. And to build onto that, um, I would suggest if you discuss this on forums or, you know, make comments on social media just be sensitive to the fact that you never know who's looking at those it could be the family you don't know just be sensitive and kind in whatever you say out there because you know ultimately someone lost their life right right and exactly yeah and and you know and and a whole family lost their mother their spouse Mm -hmm. their 
if she had siblings, cousins, you know, there's a big loss of life here. And, you know, that's not something that the children are probably, they're never going to get over that. Right. I mean, they're never going to get over that. Mm -hmm. And they don't have justice on top of it. Right. So just a bunch of unanswered questions. Yeah. And so that's got to be really hard. And for all we know, maybe her children have their own idea what ha- what happened to her and they've made peace with it. They may have accepted, well, we'll never really solve this case, but as long as I have some idea what happened, uh, I, that'll be fine for me. But in the interest of privacy, we're not going to reveal it publicly and we, we should respect that if they don't want to talk about the case at all. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Thank you so much for being with us today. Yes, this has thank been a, you. A really good collaboration, I think. My pleasure it was great like i've i've had an obsession with this case for over 30 years now since i watched it on solved mysteries and i'm always happy to discuss it with fellow people especially oklahomans who are familiar with the area and offered insight that i probably would not have known before yeah Mm. this has been really great i know i've enjoyed it thank you thank you so much You've reached the end of our episode. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Join Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?